Welcome back to another episode of the Questions and Answers about the Bible and Theology podcast. Today, I'm talking with Josh Huber about deacons, specifically about whether or not the Bible teaches a female deacon position. Now, I've mentioned this debate on a couple of occasions in the earlier episodes as we've gone through the qualifications of a deacon and the role of a deacon. So today I want to talk more specifically about whether or not the Bible permits female deacons. To be very upfront about it, I have come to the conclusion in my study that the Bible does permit female deacons. So let's talk about that here Uh, beginning by looking at the text. So in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, we have the qualifications for a deacon. The text reads, Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about why we would conclude that females can serve as deacons. When we're looking at this text and the qualifications for a deacon, we automatically compare those qualifications with the qualifications listed for an elder. And what we notice really apparently about the differences in qualifications are, number one, that deacons do not have to have the ability to teach, whereas an elder does. And that is because the role of deacon and elder are different. Uh, The elders have the responsibility of preaching and teaching the Bible. The deacons have the responsibility of serving the church and enabling the elders to focus their attention on the ministry of word and prayer. And so that difference starts to redefine the deacon's roles a little bit. But another significant difference is that the deacon qualification list includes a qualification section for women, whereas the elders qualification list does not. So this raises the somewhat technical discussion of the translation of the Greek word gune in 1 Timothy 3.11. So some translations will take this as women, some will say wives, and the reason for this distinction is the Greek word is one and the same. And so there's not a separate word for wife than woman. And so context determines whether a wife or just an individual woman is in view here. Now, if we translate it wives, um, then we are asking the question, why is there a qualification for deacons' wives and not for elders' wives? And a good response might be that the elders' role of teaching would not welcome the participation of the wife. So, so, Men are given the authority to teach, 
and fill that role women are not. And so it makes sense that a, the wife's qualifications wouldn't be included, whereas a deacon's role of service very easily brings the wife into partnership in that service. And so it would make sense for there to be a qualification for the wife. And so we look at it and could explain that distinction that way. If we translate it woman, then the explanation would simply be that the qualifications for an elder do not permit women to serve in that role. Therefore, there's no qualification listed. Whereas the qualifications for deacons do permit women to serve in that role, and therefore qualifications for women are included. So, so that's basically the two ways of looking at that. But that doesn't solve the question of whether or not we should translate this word woman or wives. Um, I think that there are a couple good reasons to go with the translation woman. Um, the first is that the... Greek word doesn't come with the possessive. So, so if it were talking about the wives of deacons, we would expect the text to say their wives or the wives of deacons. Now, some English translations insert the pronoun there, you know, this possessive pronoun. So it turns it into deacons' wives likewise. But that's not in the Greek text. It just says women likewise or wives likewise. And it doesn't connect the possession of the wives to the deacons who have just been described. And so it appears that there's a different classification of people in view that are distinct from the male deacon. And so on that level, to, to translate it their wives is adding something to the text that's not there, and it makes an interpretive decision. And so I think it's better just to take it as women likewise. Now that keyword likewise or to, depending on the translation, is also an indicator that a separate qualification list is in view for a separate party. And so you have the elders qualifications and then in verse 8 it says deacons likewise. And then in verse 11 you get to women likewise. And so I think it's it's introducing a whole nother qualification list that's separate from the marital bond of this deacon's wife. I think it's talking about women who are serving in the role of deacons. So in looking at that text, I think the on the balance, you know, the evidence points towards this just communicating to women and giving them qualifications. Now, as we look at the rest of the New Testament and kind of expand our view, there's one other text that might commend having female deacons, and that is Romans 16.1. So in Romans 16.1, we read Paul writing to the church at Rome, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant or a deacon of the church in Sancria. Now, some have taken this as just defining Phoebe as someone who's participating in the service of the church. Um, I think that it's better, though, to see this as pointing to Phoebe as a woman who is serving in the office of deacon for a couple reasons. The first reason is that throughout the New Testament, we see that phrase, someone is a servant of. 
in almost every case, in every case that I know of, the the references to Christ. So a servant of Jesus Christ, a servant of the Lord. And so the connection of that function of service is connected directly to Christ. Here, it's connected directly to a local church. And so it's an interesting phrase that doesn't really appear anywhere else, a servant or a deacon of the church, which seems to commend this term being used in a technical way rather than just a general term of service to Christ. Second, the the Greek language has uh, a way of having grammatical gender applied to certain words. English doesn't do this, Spanish does this. And so if we think in terms, I'm trying to remember back to my Spanish classes in college, uh, them can be masculine, ellos, or feminine, ella. So there's a different ending to include the grammatical gender. Here, diakonos is in the masculine gender. And so I would take that to mean, you know, every other word, you know, Adelphos, the, the family term there is in the feminine, Adelphi, right? And so that's feminine. So we would kind of expect diakonos to take the feminine. But because it's in the masculine, it sort of makes us think that it's talking about a technical office rather than just the general term for service. Now, to be fair... Some have argued that the feminine form of the word just wasn't in use at that time. It hadn't appeared yet. You know, it hadn't come into, you know, as language develops, it hadn't developed in a feminine term yet. And so perhaps the reason it's not there is because the term just was never used in the feminine form. And that may be the case. But I think it's still significant that it's in the masculine form and it's connected to a particular local church. Any other time we see, you know, the this function or this role of deacon, it's really in connection to local church. So we think of Philippians 1.1, where Paul greets the entire church, but then he also greets the deacons and the overseers of that church. And so I think it's significant that we find this in connection with a local assembly. So taking all of these things together, we might ask, well, how does this reality of female deacons relate to the larger picture of biblical manhood and womanhood? And in churches where deacons essentially function as elders, it would certainly be wrong for a a woman to be appointed as a deacon because it's fulfilling the office of an elder. And so that church really needs to just more appropriately define and raise up elders. Uh, But the, the New Testament, and especially the texts that we've looked at in qualifications, indicate that the office of deacon is an office of service and support, not an office of leadership and authority. And so when we look at the role of biblical manhood and womanhood, I don't think that women serving as deacons paves the way for a feminist agenda or for a breaking away from biblical manhood and womanhood. And to sort of put a bow on that, um, if we're if we're basing part of our argument for female deacons on the fact that there are qualifications for women in the deacon list and not in the elder list, it shows that 
even at that time, there was a permission for females to participate in the service of the church in that way. So the feminist argument is our culture has developed and changed. We need to change with it. And so that's why women can serve in both offices of the church. Well, what I'm arguing for is that culture does change, but these roles in offices are rooted in something deeper than culture, such that all the way back then, women were permitted to serve in this office and not permitted to serve in the office of elder. So there is never a cultural argument that would allow us to then open up the office of elder to women because deacons, women are allowed to serve as deacons. And so the slippery slope is cut off by saying the Bible permits it for deacons by giving a category, even in a cultural setting where women may have been marginalized more, it does not give a category for women serving as elders. So in short, that's my argument for why I think women ought to be permitted to serve as deacons. There's more we can say about mm -hmm. that, but I think to help tease out some of these ideas, Josh, it would be yeah. good for you to maybe weigh in with questions you have as you're hearing this sure. and maybe questions you think others might have. And of course, as we discuss this as a church, as we look at our constitution together, there will be opportunity for more questions and discussions, mm -hmm. but perhaps it would be prudent to ask some of those here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for your teaching on this and your hard study looking over this. Uh, there's a lot to go through and to sort through and weigh, uh, so I appreciate your effort in this. I think it was helpful that you brought up the, the role distinctions between deacons and elders, because I'm guessing many of our listeners grew up in churches where deacons fulfilled their role as elders. They didn't distinguish between deacons and elders. Mm -hmm. And I think that's extremely crucial if we're going to have female deacons, because I think that's part of our reaction. We hear female deacons, no way, that's not allowed. Uh, but it's because we haven't defined what a deacon truly is biblically. So thank you for drawing that out. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And mm -hmm. I'm thankful for the history of Crystal Lake Baptist Church, mm -hmm. because even in the oldest edition of the Constitution, deacons never functioned as pastors. Mm -hmm. They always are described as the servants of the church. And um, I agree. I think that I grew up in churches where men were raised as deacons and they essentially functioned either as pastors or as kind of a pastoral advisement committee. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. not the biblical function of a deacon. Mm -hmm. And so once that's clarified, I think it makes it easier to have the conversation about females serving as deacons while simultaneously protecting the biblical teaching on manhood and womanhood. Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you. Thank you again. I have a few questions on top of that, of course. Yeah. Um, just for the general listener, I'm sure they're wondering, is there a, a Baptist position on deacons or maybe a Southern Baptist position on deacons, um, especially as it relates to women serving in that role? Yes, that's a really good question, Josh. And I think as we look at Baptist history and even at Baptists in our own day, there has been, you know, probably a plethora of approaches to this topic in a, a bunch of different ways that it have worked out, has worked out. So, so some Baptist churches, I think, have said, well, we're not 
ready to permit women to serve as deacons totally, but when we raise up a deacon, his wife is also in that office. You know, other Baptist churches permit no women to the deaconship, and others open it up altogether. And so there's not an official Baptist position on this. The closest that we would get is the Baptist distinctive of seeing two offices of pastor and deacon. Now, as it relates to Southern Baptists, kind of narrowing the field a little bit, we actually get the same answer. And so as we look at conservative Southern Baptist churches in our day, there are some who have female deacons and there are some who do not. And so it has no bearing on our Southern Baptist identity. Now, our Southern Baptist Statement of Faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, addresses the offices of the church. And in that document, it is very clear that women cannot serve as elders. And it's very vague about whether or not women can serve as deacons. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So there's a bunch of variety then across the board as far as Baptist yeah. circles go. Yeah, so you can be a Baptist happily and either have deacons who are female or not have deacons who are female and it has virtually no impact on your baptist identity good to hear next question some think probably i'm guessing that in having women deacons they risk having women exercise authority over a man as prohibited by paul in first timothy 2 12. Is that the case? Is that a potential risk in having women deacons? Yeah, I think it's a really good question, and it's worth considering, and and maybe even larger, this consideration of men and women in submission and authority that extends beyond that exact text. So when we look at that exact text, and I think we should read it if we're Mm going to talk about it, uh, I'm going to start in verse 8 and read all the way through verse 15. So Paul's writing to this church, Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as it is proper for women who profess to worship God. So pausing right there, he is saying, women, don't be distracting or seductive. Essentially, I think is what that means. Mm-hmm. And so he he's sort of talking about a disposition that men and women are to have in the assembly. But then he goes on, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not want, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Now, in several of those verses, almost every word is probably debated. But (laughs) what comes to our attention is Paul's instruction where he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. I think the authority that's in view is connected to the teaching. And that teaching is the public preaching and teaching and explanation of the scriptures that accords with the role of an elder 
including that qualification, able to teach. Mm-hmm. And so when, when Paul is addressing this, he is addressing the instruction of God's word. And I think his connection to Adam and Eve is significant for two reasons. Number one, it shows that this, uh, this command is not culturally bound. So Mm -hmm. I think that this remains to be the case forever because it's rooted in creation. It's not rooted in culture. But then second, when we consider the actual scene of what was going on there, what happened? Well, you had Eve essentially commenting on God's word and instructing the serpent and then Adam in what God actually said, you know. And so I Hmm. think that Paul Hmm. is connecting this to the distinction to this distortion of authority back in the garden. And so as we connect that to the females serving as deacons, if we understand the deacon role properly as a role of service rather than a role of teaching and authority, then I think there's Mm -hmm. no question there and there's no violation of this. Now, if we Mm -hmm. improperly define deacons in such a way that they essentially served as elders, there would be a problem there. Now, expanding larger to this issue of male and female relationships and authority and submission, I think we have more more confidence in saying that women are to submit to their husbands. So when we read texts in Ephesians, for instance, husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husband. I mean, I, I think there it's talking in a bit of a different context in the family relationship uh, where clearly women are instructed to submit to their husbands, Mm -hmm. not necessarily to every man that they might encounter. And so when we talk about women not exercising authority over a man, I think we need to be cautious in expanding that to every realm of life. Mm -hmm. Here, it's in 1 Timothy 2, 12, it's very clearly connected to the teaching and preaching role. Mm, that's helpful. Thank you, Aaron. Um, so they're not necessarily at risk at exercising authority over man as, according to Paul and what he's talking about there. But what what about female deacons posing a threat to, you know, undermining a cultivation of male leadership? Won't, won't that stop men from, you know, fulfilling that role or undermine it somehow um, within the church or discourage it? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, again, I think it's worthy of our consideration. Um, I, I think on the one hand, we're helped if we remember that Paul's instruction for how men and women ought to relate to one another and to the assembly remain true regardless of whether or not there are female deacons. <laughs> and so when we think of texts like Titus 2 and 3, there's this relationship between men that ought to foster that's in familial terms. And so we don't say, um, women, you can disobey things like what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.11 or uh, 2.10. You can now be seductive and attention drawing and kind of ostentatious because you can now serve in this office. We're not releasing the bounds of what is directed on the dispositions we ought to have as men and women in the assembly. And when those remain there, I think there's an inclination still for men to be men and women to be women and men to step up and lead, as is the biblical pattern, regardless of how women serve. So we want to keep those things in mind. Now, when it comes to practical functioning, 
I think a lot of churches have women serving in roles that are essentially deacon roles. And so, for instance, when you have a woman who oversees the hospitality ministry of a church, it's very arguably, it's arguable that that is a deacon role. It, it fits that service ministry, even of what we see modeled by proto-deacons, if we want to consider them that in Acts 6, where widows are being fed. You know, and so our hospitality ministries that many of our churches are led by women, whether or not they're called deacons. And I don't think that they're serving in that particular capacity is doing anything to discourage male leadership hmm. in the church. Hmm. I think it's just a, a matching of appropriate sensibility and capacity to hmm. an individual. Hmm. And so we, we don't want to discourage male leadership, but we also don't want to imply that Female service is a detriment to male leadership. Mm -hmm. um, that that's not the case. And mm -hmm. I think as we look at good churches around the country who have female deacons, we detect some that have very little male leadership, and we have some that have really strong male leadership. And so I don't mm -hmm. think they're necessarily as closely related as we might think they are. Mm -hmm. uh, finally think as we broaden our thinking and think about other beliefs that we hold, there are things that we hold that stand in tension to one another, and it's actually a healthy tension. So for instance, we teach about God's sovereignty. Well, someone might say, well, if you allow for God's sovereignty, what does that do for man's responsibility? Are you just saying people can live however they want? Of course not. You know, that's a that's a non sequitur. It doesn't follow. Hmm. And I think mm -hmm. the same is true. We we don't say women can't serve because it will keep men from leading. Hmm. I think we say men lead, men serve, women serve. Hmm. We take it all together. We should see them hand in hand and not opposed to one yes. another. That's great. Thank you. Um, what are some of the benefits, Aaron, uh, of having women deacons? as opposed to not having it. What are the benefits? Sure. I, I think one benefit is simply the encouragement that comes when people are formally given the task that they're already informally doing hmm. or, or more closely connecting the task that they're doing to an office that God has given us for the church. And so the hospitality director, the nursery director, these individuals are generally women, and they're generally serving mm -hmm. in ways that could be described as diaconal service, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's an encouragement that comes to those women who are now being recognized as fulfilling an official capacity of the church. Mm -hmm. And so not only is it encouraging to them, but it also more closely connects the elders' oversight to that responsibility and their backing of those individuals serving in that capacity. Mm -hmm. And so there is an informal way where nursery director lady has the support of the elders. Mm -hmm. But when that role is categorized as a diaconal role, I think there's, there's a more close connection to the elders in that. And there's more support that can be given as elders now see it even more important for them to oversee this as a deacon ministry. Mm -hmm. So I think there are benefits of encouragement. There's strengthening in the task that's there. But then I think if we can also understand 
that without stereotyping men and women more than necessary, uh, the deacon role includes both task orientation and compassion orientation. And if we're going to apply the general male and female stereotypes, men are really good at the task orientation and females are really good at the compassion orientation. And so in this unique office that has to combine both, I think that the office can be filled and worked out better when you have individuals who have proclivities to tasks getting done and compassion being offered brought together. Mm. And so, for instance, uh, the deacons oversee the benevolence fund. Well, I think that there's probably going to be better, more thoughtful conversation when male and female deacons are working on that project together, determining how and when to disperse those funds. Hmm. I think that one of the primary service roles for deacons is caring for the widows in those who are impoverished. Well, I think female deacons are going to be able to pick up on needs of widows, perhaps even better than some male deacons will. So I think there's benefit in teamwork. Um, I think in the same way that God has made wives to complement husbands and vice versa, female deacons can complement male deacons and vice versa, resulting in a strengthening of both. Hmm. Hmm. You mentioned task orientation and compassion orientation. Mm-hmm. Um would you distinguish those in their service? Like, can you give examples of what you mean by compassion versus task, like specific sure. things? Yeah, I think they go together. Sure. But I think that as we look at the responsibilities that deacons take on, especially in our setting, there are some that just demand more task orientation and there are some that demand more compassion orientation. Sure. So the upkeep of the building, That'd be the mowing of the lawns, this falls, mm-hmm. it's a job that's got to get done. Mm-hmm. You know, the fixing of the toilet. <laughs> that's compassionate in its own right. Sure. But it's also a task. But then when we think of things like our hospitality ministries, mm-hmm. um, even as we think of our church in particular, we have no hospitality ministry officially. And I think that in part is due to the fact that neither of the offices of the church right now are focused on that. But I think it's compassion ministry it fits that, you know, mm-hmm. and hospitality ministry, our, even our children's ministry is... is Loving mm. children takes a certain amount of compassion mm, mm. and forbearance that doesn't always fit on the task-oriented guy's sure, list. Sure, sure. And so, so I think deacons as a whole lean into their strengths. Mm, Those who are mm. more compassionate-oriented need to lean into that, but they need to grow in their task orientation. And those who are more task-oriented need to grow in their compassion mm. orientation. And mm, so mm. I think as we look at the needs of the church, some responsibilities just fall more squarely into one or the other, but they need to be combined. Complementary. That's good. Um, Are there some things, Aaron, that male deacons can um, do, let's say, that women deacons can't do, and vice versa as we're thinking about fleshing this out in the future? Yeah, I think think that's a really good question. Um, I think there are some tasks that uh, are not necessarily, you know, only a male could do it or only a female could do it. But I think by nature of the roles that most men take on in our church and most women take on for our church, they'll be equipped in different ways. 
And so I would imagine that when it comes to, uh, you know, fixing the light fixture, it's probably more likely that a male deacon in the church would take on that task just because he may work as an electrician. You know, when it comes to organizing the hospitality ministry, it may be, you know, more helpful for a woman to take on that task. But I don't think they're necessarily limited based on their gender on what task they could take on. Mm -hmm. Now, specific instances may pop up that would commend a male deacon taking Mm -hmm. on that Mm -hmm. task or a female taking on that task. And so if there's a widow in our church who's just had a surgery, uh, it may be more helpful for a female deacon to go to that woman's home and check on her and make sure she's doing okay and perhaps even help her in a particular way that just would be either uncomfortable or perhaps inappropriate for a male deacon to do. On his own. If, If there's a widower who's just had a surgery, well, it might be more prudent to send a male deacon Mm -hmm. to that man to help than a female. Mm -hmm. So once again, I think we see the complementary nature of the office. I would be hesitant to draw hard and fast lines. Um, I think gender stereotypes really are stereotypes for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so those will generally dictate things. But you and I know Mm -hmm. a woman who's an architect who's designed (laughs) buildings. So if, if we're working on a building project, it's not necessarily the case that a male deacon would oversee that. Perhaps there would be a female deacon who has master's degrees in architecture that would commend her leading that task. Yeah. You know, so I think we we want to just take things on a case by case basis. That's really helpful. Well, thank you for answering all these questions, Aaron. I know that was a lot just to throw at you there, and I'm sure it was helpful to everyone listening again. And um, if you guys have any questions as well for Aaron, feel free to shoot us an email. Uh, we'll continue this discussion. Um, for the foreseeable future and continue to work on in our constitution. But you have any th- closing words for us here? Yeah, thanks for talking, Josh. Of course, for some people in the assembly, uh, this idea of female deacons will be new and relatively uncomfortable. For others in the assembly, they'll have never thought about this and not care. Others <laughs> will be in support of it. I know that some in our assembly will be uh, not happy with the reasons for it, and some who would look on our assembly would would say, well, women should be included in everything. Well, we're not pursuing a feminist agenda, and we're not pursuing an agenda that says women have to be deacons. We're just seeking to interpret the Bible carefully. We know that this is a debated issue, and, mm-hmm. and we don't think it should be a divisive issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to keep thinking clearly, carefully, guided by the Spirit, in friendship with those who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. In the next episode, I am thankful to share an interview with Rocky Ranch. <laughs> Rocky Ranch is an elder at Eden Baptist Church in Burnsville. He has served as both an elder and as a deacon. And currently in his role as an elder, he oversees the deacons at Eden Baptist Church. And so in that interview, I asked him about the benefits of serving as a deacon. So I look forward to sharing that with you and talking about these and other questions in the days ahead on this podcast, questions and answers about the Bible and theology.